me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by my guest, John Cornerens. John is a personal friend of the band who was on not that long ago telling amazing firsthand stories of the early years, like how he gave $50 to Lars Ulrich so they could get the demo of Hit the Lights mastered and released on the Metal Massacre album. Who knows where this band would be without him, to be quite honest. And the episode he was on got rave reviews from all of you in the Metallica Ass Monday show. And he was kind enough to come back on. And this time, we go into a bit of history. We talk about the history of the electric guitar and the new wave of British heavy metal scene and how it all ties in with our favorite band, Metallica. So there's a lot to unpack here including some more great first-hand stories of the band. So without further ado, here is my conversation for the second time with John Cornerens. My guest today is back for his second appearance. The first time he was on, he told amazing firsthand stories of the early years of Metallica, like how he paid $50 to get them on the Metal Massacre album. To date, it is one of the most acclaimed episodes of this podcast. He got rave reviews from you listeners. Now he is back for a discussion on the history of New Wave of British Heavy Metal and more including their influence on Metallica. Please welcome back to Metallicast, John Cornerens. John, how are you? Good. How are you? I am great, thanks. I am very excited to have you back on the podcast. People loved the first time you were on and loved your stories. And uh, now you. you... Oh, my pleasure. And uh, now you are back. Uh, I, I'm so happy that we were able to have you on again uh, without too much time passing in between, too. This is great. Yeah. Um, is this episode 42, 3? What is this? I believe it is episode 47, I believe. Oh, man, you're busy. Okay. Great. Yeah. I'm, we've still been in doing... the, I'm still in the 40s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've been pumping one out once a week now. So, uh, awesome. yeah, we've been, it, it keeps me busy, that's for sure. Uh, and then w- with a couple extra things thrown in here or there, like I just did a, uh, a little mini episode to follow up on the acoustic show that they did this past weekend. And uh, sure. do I do a live streams every once in a while on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so I got one coming up this Friday. Or actually, by the time this release, it'll be this past Friday. But um, yeah, so, you know, definitely keeps me busy. <laughs> you are a passionate person. <laughs> it... Uh, I, I, I like to think so, at least when it comes to music and when it comes to Metallica, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you, because this conversation is definitely going to be Metallica focused, but it's going to go deeper than that. Uh, we're going to be diving into 
some history and talking about the new wave of British heavy metal scene in general. Um, and I know that you are a really big uh, student of uh, electric guitar history. So I'd love to jump into that with you. Great. No, I'd love to talk about it. Um, I, I love history. So I'm, I'm into a lot of history stuff and then just, so I get into stuff like that. So I, uh, yeah. Um, I, I guess the reason even this all came up, is just kind of like the, uh, like the, uh, how, how, how the world ended up with Metallica <laughs> kind of a way. So just, <laughs> right. You know, exactly. This is the origin large, story. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. I try not to be too boring. Um, and, and as Lars always likes to use the phrase next, that was a next level, you know, that was a next level. He loves <laughs> using that phrase and, yeah. and, and and Metallica were a next level when it came to music and sure. especially within the genre. And so as we, as we go back, you know, 100 and, 120 years now, or 1890, there was a guy who first came up with the electrified guitar pickup and um, bolted it onto some wood and, and, and tried to make it, make it work, but the battery was too heavy and, and yeah. uh, didn't really work. So, Having said that, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I, I have some knowledge as we get closer, but it's just kind of an overview. So fast forward to almost you know, up, up to the early 30s is when you had um, big bands, which were very popular. Right. You had Hawaiian music, which became popular. And you had guitars who, you know, who wanted to be heard. And yeah. so you had a bunch of different uh, companies like Stromberg coming up with ideas. With um, And again, I won't go get into the the stuff, but it's all out there on, on the internet. Um, electromagnetic pickups and all the, usually the guitars were a hollow body because that's what was there. Um, in 31, um, uh, uh, the, something came up called the frying pan, which was made by Rick and Bach and some other individuals, which actually was a solid body. It was kind of the first attempt to try to uh, uh, marry uh, electronic pickups to a solid piece of wood. And the reason for that was because the guitars, if they as they were starting out, would feed back like crazy in a hollow body. You know, just right. ask uh, yeah. Ted Nugent, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, you know, so it, it didn't really work out. It was just a prototype. Uh, there was a few made, but didn't really happen. I won't go into the details. The Hawaiian guitar uh, sound was popular. Uh, uh, fast forward another year or two to the the electric Spanish guitar, which they were kind of calling these. Uh, um, a hollow body guitars with pickups on them and yeah. there's different companies that were coming up with those and again you had guitars who wanted who wanted to to uh, you know step step up and maybe get a little solo but as soon as they cranked up the volume they got all this feedback and the amps yeah. weren't that powerful so they really had to turn they wanted to turn up so that was the that was an issue for a lot of the uh, guitar geeks that were out there 1936 is your your first use of a uh, uh, Gibson comes up with the ES-150, which Charlie Christensen made famous. And again, his style of playing was, was more jazz, so it wasn't like he right. was, you know, cranking it up and just in to, that style. And just to interject for a moment, John, uh, for people yeah. listening who might not know, uh, and maybe it's obvious as well, that, you know, obviously the technology is not what it is today with PAs, microphones, amplifiers and when you have a big band we're talking li a literal big band of 15 20 musicians on stage at the same time you have full horn section and rhythm section and sometimes singers and all that 
So the guitar, it, it's easy for it to get lost in the mix and lost in the shuffles. And like you're saying, to just to back up your point, you know, it, it to for the for a guitarist to want to step up and do a solo, that is the challenge. Huge to be challenge. heard. They want yeah. Yeah, to be heard. Well, yeah, over a saxophone or, or violin or God knows what. Right. And so that was that was a huge challenge. So in, in this mix, you've got a, a guitar virtuoso named uh, Les Paul, who wanted to be loud and he wanted to be heard. And yeah. he was he was tinkering with the idea of a, a solid body w- with electronics on it because he realized that he could go louder without the feedback and. And uh, there's the famous Les Paul's log, which is 39, 1940. But even in the mid thirties, he commissioned someone else to build him something. And um, uh, they laughed at him, uh, but he still used it. And that's, he started using that in his experiments with uh, tracking. And later he got into the whole multi-tracking and stuff. So yeah. in 1940, he went to Gibson. He had taken a, a plank of wood and, with a Gibson neck and, and, and he had, uh, he made two home, homemade pickups brought it in and, and it was so ugly looking that he cut a, he cut a hollow body and put two halves on either <laughs> side of it, <laughs> brought it into Gibson and they, and they just, they laughed at him and kicked him out of there. But that was like <laughs> one of his first attempts, yeah. you know, at a solid body guitar. And, and, and going back to the 1930 guitar that he commissioned, he, wa- he wanted it to have a solid maple top. Well, that's exactly what he did in the 52 Les Pauls, you know, fast forwarding. So right. he, he, this guy was out there early and he's one of these, amazing people that we had to have to get to where we got. Yeah, so totally. A true innovator. Les Paul, completely true innovator. And in 1941, this is another guy who's completely, and I just discovered this guy named O.W. Appleton, and he, he, he created a solid body guitar with a very similar look to the Les Paul and brought it to Gibson in 1942, and they threw him out of there too, and it was a solid body guitar with a pickup. And Gibson threw them out because Gibson weren't interested in solid body guitars. They were yeah. into their acoustics and their hollow body. So hmm. again, but things are things are starting to happen. They're just starting to happen. Right. You've got a you've got an electronics geek who's tinkering with radios and creating his own amplifiers down in Fullerton, California, named Leo Fender. And Leo Fender is getting into electronics and getting into stuff that interests him, uh, you know, electronics and, and transmitters and, and amplifiers and all this stuff. And one of his buddies, a musician down there, brings him over to this guy's house up in Hollywood, a guy named Les Paul in 1946-47. Now, the yeah. amazing thing is for the people who live in L.A., if you back in the day on Sunset Boulevard near Curson and Wilco- not Wilcox, but down in the, I think it's the 8,000 block, where the Guitar Center is. Guitar Center has always has been down there since I can remember as a kid. You had Freedom Guitar, Guitars of Us, Sam Ash, Valdez Guitars, where Van Halen went. I took Invader Freedom Guitar in 83 to buy a guitar. It's Guitar Row down there. I mean, it's just where yeah. you go to buy guitars. It's crazy. Well, right there uh, on Kirsten and Sunset, there's a uh, auction house now. And in the back is a parking lot where a house used to sit, 1514. Kirsten, North Kirsten, that was Les Paul's first house in L.A. Oh, wow. That's where he met Mary Ford, and in the back was a garage where he was tinkering. And Les Paul's house was a hangout for every electronic guitar geek there was in town. Sure, yeah. So they would gather and tinker in Les Paul's garage and hang out in the backyard. 
And along the way, um, Fender brings up a guy named Bigsby to Les Paul's house. A guy named Paul Bigsby. You've heard of the Bigsby, uh, you know, vibrato, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, so, again, these guys are talking loud, solid body, uh, amplification, want to be heard. Then there was a country, there was a country uh, 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 artist named Merle Travers, who was a, a uh, laptop guy. He commissioned Paul Bixby, who was a very, I guess, ar- not arrogant, but he's confident that he could build anything. He commissioned him to build a solid body guitar that would not feed back and that he could be heard. And Paul Bixby right. designed him a guitar. And the headstock looks like a Stratocaster. So long story short, Paul Bixby brings that thing up. Leo Fender sees it. Leo gets some ideas. Let mm-hmm. Paul get some ideas. Fast forward to 1949, and um, Leo Fender has come up with something called the Broadcaster. And he drives up for Fullerton and goes to a place called the Riverside Ranchero, or Rancho, which is gone now. I drove over there. Yeah. And that was a place where bands had played. And he brought up the guitar to have a, this guy named, uh, what was this guy's name? Billy. Let me get my notes real fast. That's right. Right. Where is it? Um, I got some damn notes. History. I'll find a second. I'll find a second. But 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 he brought it up for this guy to try out the guitar, and then and the guy didn't want to try it out. But another guy who was there tried it out during in between sets. A guy named Jimmy Bryant. For, for the people that kind of know the the first shredders in the country world, Jimmy Bryant. Yeah. So Jimmy, and this is also when you get into endorsements and stuff. Leo tried to get get uh, uh, Les to take the Fender. Uh, prototype and endorse it, and he said no. Oh, it was Bob Willis and his Texas playbook. Oh, wow, yeah. So, and Bob Willis used to kind of play loud himself, but he, he yeah. didn't want it. He said it looked ugly, and so Jimmy <laughs> Bryant takes it on. Les Paul would not take it on because Les Paul wanted to create his own guitar, and he ended up right. going back to Gibson. So, yeah. In the midst of all this, in the late '40s, early '50s, you got guys starting to crank up their amps, these little five watt amps, as loud as they can go, and sure. you start getting distortion because they're just over, they're just maxed. Yeah. And so you had guys like Gory Carter, somebody named Jackie Bernstein, and Jack, Gory Carter was Holland Wolf's guitar. She had Hubert Summerlin. 1959, you get a song called uh, by Link Ray called "The Stumble," and not "The Stumble." It was called uh, what the hell was that thing called? Um, oh shit, I should remember this now. My bad. I'll remember it. Was it no? Was it "The Stumble"? Was uh, 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 Freddie King? Anyhow. Link Ray came up with this song, and he stabbed this guitar, the amplifier. He, he stabbed the speaker right. to make it distorted. And the song was actually banned because it was so dirty sounding. <laughs> and it, it was. It was banned because it, yeah. it was an instrumental, but it was dirty sounding. And an instrumental was banned because it was nasty and dirty sounding. <laughs> and so, and <laughs> so, you got you got this guy trying to make nasty sounds. At the same time, you got Fender coming up with the Fender Basement, which the Marshalls were were. Uh, um, based on and stuff so right. um and then a 19 it's called the rumble excuse me not the stumble the rumble anyhow link ray you go to 1964 you got dave davies taking a razor blade and slashing sure, yeah. yeah and you got you really got me again yeah. probably one of the first proto heavy rock metal songs in a way you know at least totally. the, the way it was oh yeah but if you roll back if you roll back to the early 60s you got you got the maestro uh, um, effects box, fuzz tone box being invented '62, which was used on Satisfaction, The Stones. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, um, you've got something called the da- the Dallas um, Rangemaster, which is basically a treble boost, and that allegedly was what Eric Clapton used on yeah. the, on the Blues Breakers 
And then you had something else called the fuzz face, which Jimi Hendrix was using. Yeah, and Jimmy also used something called the Octavia effect pedal. Yeah. So all these things are being invented because music was changing in a way where it was starting to get more aggressive. And mm-hmm. that's just, it's just, it was like a progression. It was getting more uh, aggressive. The guitar kind of came out as a lead instrument, not just a uh, you know, rhythm instrument. Right. And, and through, through technologies and also style, it just, it just grew. I, I, I had the opportunity to tour with Jack Bruce bass player oh, from wow. cream yeah yeah when when he was doing legends of rock with Lily roth and i got to he was kind of a hard guy to reach but i got him to sit down one night in a bar and we were rolling video on it and he had a few drinks and i said to him i said you know jack i've always wondered and i, I can't figure this out why did music get heavy I, I don't understand how it got heavy he goes that's easy and i i i, I looked at him, it's easy and i'm thinking what the hell did i miss he goes it's easy the equipment got better the yeah. equipment got better. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Yeah. Because you go back to 1962 when, when Jim Marshall, you know, for who owns a drum shop, you know, creates an amplifier because Pete Townsend comes in, comes in and says he wants <laughs> to be louder than everybody else. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So he take, his guys take a Fender Bassman, but they use their available tubes and their available parts, and they come up with Marshall. You, yeah. You've got That's Eric great. Clapton wanting something he can put in the boot of his car. I mean, it, it's just amazing. The equipment gets better. So it's going to push you to play louder, and then the drummer plays louder. So then you need PA's, and it's just like it's like it's just it one ups everything. And what I love is that it all comes out of a need, right? You have this, yeah. You have this artist with a vision, whether it be Clapton or Hendrix or whoever. They're like, how do I, how do I fulfill this artistic vision that I have? And th- at that point, they are established enough where they can reach out to the necessary people and be like, this is what I want. Can you make this happen? And then yeah. sort of out of uh, necessity, they, it comes to, it, it comes to fruition. And before you know it, it's copied and mass manufactured and, and, and the rest is like history in, in and a lot of that gets lost in the shuffle thing because it's so commonplace now. Right. But it had to happen, and how did it happen? And that's what's so fascinating right. about it. Totally. I mean, you've got you've got uh, Jimi Hendrix using this Octavia effects pedal, which his guitar tech built for him, and he's using yeah. it on Purple Haze. You know, in January of '67, and that you know that that that, that you know it, it you can have one guitar input signal and goes one octave higher, one octave lower in pitch, and it's like yeah. wow, what a cool sound. So, well, and, and when you hear, said, hey, can you do this? You know. Right, exactly. I was going to say, you know, when you mentioned Jimi Hendrix that, you know, that's such a big part of his sound are the pedals. And he was really one of the first to kind of use it in a, especially in a big stage, dare I say, mainstream setting. And even something like the wah pedal and stuff like that, just it, you know, and all that sort of started with him and he kind of helped push Mm -hmm. it along and helped push that technology along. And now it's such a signature part of his sound. And I mean, look at how the influence he's had on people, including Kirk Hammett, uh, you know, Kirk Hammett, people love talking about his use of the wah pedal. It's sort of become uh, almost a joke these days um, uh, among fans, but you know, it all starts because of that Jimmy influence and what he did to pioneer uh, guitar playing. 
he and Jimmy, he and Eric were one of the first to get that Wawa, and you're right. And then they, yeah. and they implemented it into their style and stuff. Yeah, you go back to um, um, 1965. Now, this is something that's very interesting. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I know absolutely for sure, but I haven't heard anything earlier. But um, Eric Clapton was the first person, I believe, that used feedback, controlled feedback yeah. very well. Now, he, in 1966 is when he recorded the Blues Breakers album with the supposed, you know, uh, uh, JTM 45 combo amp, you know, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, he, and he used the Dallas, Dallas Range Master, and that was his sound. He plugged in a, a, a Les Paul into a Marshall, but I thought that was the first time. But actually, you go back a year, in 1965, he was already with the John Mayhill band, and he recorded a single at Immediate Records, which had just hired as their house producer a guy named Jimmy Page. <laughs> so Jimmy Page is Might have heard of him. Eric Clapton. <laughs> and Eric Clapton has his 59 birth, we think it's a 59, and he plugs it into a Marshall cabinet and, and, a, and yeah. a freestanding head. And there's a song called I'm Your Witch Doctor. So for everybody who really wants to hear controlled feedback, I'm Your Witch Doctor. It's effing amazing. It's controlled feedback. It's probably, you know, again, my opinion, the first time ever any controlled feedback was recorded. Now, they yeah. say Jeff Beck was using feedback in the Tridents in 64, but we, I don't know. You know, again, this is, yeah, yeah. This is a, this, again, this is a Les Paul, which is, again, a maple top with a mahogany body. It's just a fat, full sound with humbucker pickups. Jimi Hendrix usually pushed a strat through a bunch of effects. It, it sounded different. It still sounded big, 100 watts, but it's, you know, but there's something about a Les Paul and a Marshall. Yeah, that 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 is just you know, the sound of heavy rock metal. I mean, look at Led Zeppelin. Totally. So, yeah. You get into that, but speaking of Jeff Beck, what else is heavy metal? Heavy metal is riffs. You got to right. realize that there weren't any riffs in the in the in the middle in the you know in the day basically as rhythms, but a riff. Yeah. And uh, and Jeff Beck said this once, and I tend to agree with him. He says he wrote the first heavy metal riff in Beck's Bolero. Right? Doesn't that sound like right? And of course, you know, the famous Black Sabbath Devil's Interval. So the first heavy rock riff, 1965, maybe, right? So you've got Jeff Beck, you've got Eric Clampton, you got Jimmy Page, which is amazing. Those those guys all grew up around each other. So I was gonna say that's the interesting thing, and and I think that's probably part of what helped spurred like all this innovation and talent was, you know, they all, they're all part of the same scene and all passed through the yard birds and did that whole thing. So it's like, they all were feeding off each other. And I'm sure, I'm sure to say the least, it was a bit of friendly uh, competition Competition. back in the day, you know, to try to outdo each other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my uh, my and one of the the missing links at all this and you know most some people touch on it some people don't is is uh, a band called Blue Cheer. Yeah. Now, Blue Cheer saw Hendrix at Monterey. Blue Cheer were actually a six piece, but they they were but for some reason, the drummer was extremely heavy, aggressive. The bass player was angry. Yeah. And the guitarist just, you know, it was kind of in that, that San Francisco kind of, you 
you know, whatever lead plane, but they saw Hendricks and they immediately ordered marshals. Somehow they had management of the ordered marshals. And for the people that really want, in my opinion, to really hurt, hear the first, you know, I don't want to say punk, metal, whatever, you got to listen to Dr. Please, the demo version that was recorded in 1967 yeah. and was played on KSAN, the demo version. You listen to the middle break, which Rush later took. You listen to the the ending. I mean, the studio can't even handle what these guys are doing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's the again, it's the attitude also. It's the fu attitude. It's the angry attitude. You got Dicky Peterson playing bass chords way before Lemmy. You listen to yeah. his voice and the way his phrasing is angry. It's 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 the it's the Metallica of 1968. I mean, the yeah. second album was called Inside Outside. Half the albums recorded outside because they were too loud to play inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know they, 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 one of one of these things, and you know, I guess one of their 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 identifications was the uh, a band that can turn thin air into cottage cheese. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my yeah. friend actually saw him at the Newport Festival. 1968 outdoors. Yeah, he he was there, and he said there was a helicopter hovering over the stage in Blue Cheever Plains. He said he couldn't hear the helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) So, so again, I'm you know I'm 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 talking also attitude. There's Metallica attitude. They were attitude too. Sure, like Venom and all these other bands later came. But just I'm just you know for anybody who wants the the demo, Doctor, please listen to Doctor, please listen to it all the way through. It's just freaking insane when you think that it's 1957 i mean the beatles yeah. are doing the white album you know not helter skelter yeah. guys that's yeah, the first yeah. heavy metal song it's not helter skelter sorry so yeah anyhow. and they're and they're a band that definitely gets lost in the shuffle i know when i was a kid trying and you know traveling back to all this music trying to educate myself you know on uh the history of rock and roll that they're they're not a band that showed up on my radar you you hear about right you know right the Yardbirds, Cream, the Kings, the Who, all these bands that, uh, you know, from the 60s and into the 70s with like Led Zeppelin, of course, Black Sabbath. Um, but the Blue Chair was like a band that showed up much later on my radar in life that I sort of, um, you know, had to go back again and kind of check out because they, they are definitely, um, for one reason or another, just one of those bands that, get glossed over a lot but huge impact and uh i think a lot of people borrowed and uh stole from them in a lot of ways (laughs) well yeah i mean the look their hair i mean the drums are like so primitive it's it's like i mean it's like you know ginger baker times 10 i mean right oh my god this guy's just like you know some animalistic primitive i mean it's (laughs) not primitive in the style but it's so heavy it's heavy and again these guys that the guitarist lay stevens Right after they finished the second album, he quit the band. You know why he quit the band? Why is he that? Was, he was afraid he's, he's afraid he's going to go deaf. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he left. That's why he left. You know. And then, wow. Yeah. You know, and then the drugs and all this. Uh, you know. So sure. Yeah. Got quick, but it's just it's just one of those little one of those little elements that you know the the, the soup would taste different if you didn't have a little blue cheer in your soup. You know, and you're having yeah. Soup. It was just it was, and again, it's also attitude, and it's like Marshall sure. Stacks surrounding these guys it's like holy shit now, they have you know they have a, a fuzz face and octavia you know they're yeah, using yeah. all the same stuff hendrix has <laughs> right so, yeah and again you know everybody knows about hendrix you know without without hendrix and eddie van halen sure everything would be different so sure um, yeah so i i guess you know and then you then you have the 70s and then you ha- then you have like you said the equipment 
and then the influences. So then you have the heavy rock, heavy metal bands, and then you got all these young kids growing up in England, and you have some in America, and they yeah. and those are the future new wave of British heavy metal guys. So, but prior to that, one other one little element, uh, and it also this will tie directly into Metallica. You've got some inventors out there now, just like we had the effects boxes, and you got guys still making stuff. Right. You have guys that are start starting to create guitar pickups that actually are going to make music louder and heavier. You got a guy named Larry DiMarzio. And then 72, he starts tinkering. Well, he's, he's buddies with a few people that are buddies with kids. So you have what's called the super distortion, which is probably, you know, almost twice the output of your standard humbucker, which you would find in your Les Pauls or your SG. So you're, you're, you're pushing 14, 15, you know, uh, or ohms or whatever they call it. I don't know how they measure them, but it's almost double because they're, they're wound, wound and hotter and stuff. So that starts pushing things a little bit. It pushes, it drives the amp hotter. Dave right. Murray put it, SD, SDs in, in, you know, in the Paul Kostoff, uh, Les Paul, or uh, Stratocaster. Yeah. So you've got that. You've got another guy named Seymour Duncan who's kind of doing the same, and he starts competing, and he comes up with his stuff, and he actually um, ties into uh, James Hetfield in a little bit. So... And he puts and, and so you, you have these guitar pickups which are actually you know pushing the music a little bit along with the influences and stuff. So I'll I'll touch on James and, and equipment real fast and we can go back to a little more new wave and stuff if you want. But um um James is as everybody knows, his first guitar, true guitar was an SG, which then he, he traded for PA, which then he later bought his Electra Flying V. Right. Well, in his Electra Flying V Either he got it this way, and I don't know for sure, or he put him in, but he put in what are called Seymour Duncan Invaders. Mm-hmm. Now, Invaders at the time were the hottest effing pickup out there. They had ceramic, three ceramic magnets, and they pushed out about 16, 16, uh, 16 17. So they were really a hot pickup. Right. And he also had a Marshall modified amp that he loved, and that was stolen in January of 84. So he, uh, he when, they, when they did the do, when they went to go do Ride the Lightning, he wanted to emulate that sound of his amp, and so he and uh, was it Fleming Rasmussen, they played around, and, and you know they kind of emulated his sound, and maybe they touched on some new new sounds. But I would have to say Metallica really kind of created the, the first ferocious sound, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know the rhythm playing style, uh, James's vocal delivery, which actually I would say James's vocal delivery uh, comes from our our lead singer from Sweet Savage. I would have. Your, your people go back and listen to Ray, Ray Haller from Sweet Savage. Listen mm-hmm. to the way he attacks the vocals and his vocal style. And I know James is influenced by him. I'm just going to, uh, yeah. that's my opinion. I've never, you know, yeah, yeah. I, you, know, you know, angry young man, James, and look at the way he attacks. <laughs> yeah. He, he listen to the way he attacks the words. It's a very similar style. So anyhow, and Kirk still was running his flying V with just the uh, T-top uh, humbuckers. And then they later changed to the EMGs, which are their active pickups, even, you know, crunched it more. But right. sounds got more crunched. Ceramic magnets made everything more bassy, more mid-ranges, so you don't have as many top ends. So it just had, you had more, more crap going on in the middle. You know, it's like, it's like trying yeah. to rush through a 10 lineman, you know. It was, sure, it was sort yeah. of going around the ends. So just my opinion, but he did have the invaders in there. So I think that kind of helped push the sound along, too, in my opinion. And as Marshall Lampley loved. Yeah, so I have a... Uh couple follow-up questions for you and um sure and but before i get to the questions just to add on to what you're saying you know like when i think of the sound of metallica i think of crunch right you have like that metallica yeah. crunch the captain's a crunch 
Right. Absolutely. So it's it's it, it's interesting to hear, you know, sort of the technical understanding of what helps create that crunch and how it came to be uh, from that standpoint. I, I'm curious to backtrack a little bit. If you had to, based on your knowledge and just your opinion, if you had to narrow the list down of the most innovative uh, guitarists when it came to the electric guitar, it maybe like two or three, who would who would be on that list for you? Within the hard rock heavy metal world, or just in general? Uh, just in general. Wow, that's amazing. Um, definitely Hendrix. Yeah. Um, um, and you said, well, Eddie Van Halen, but he's, you know, I mean, Eddie, I can't say Eddie. Well, I'm sure he influenced a lot of the new wave guys too. Um, I mean, Eddie's so important to the, to that realm, but then, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I, I almost want to throw Django Reinhardt into this whole mix. Oh, wow. I don't yeah. know, just because of his neoclassical and, and his vibrato and stuff. I mean, because yeah. that influenced a lot of, you know, guys later down the road. But then again, I, you know, that's such a hard question. Obviously, Jimmy Page, <laughs> not uh, on a good night, you know, but uh, yeah, Jimmy yeah, Page yeah. also just his riffing and, and the way he would create stuff. Then you sure. got Richie Blackmore, who was probably, you know, yeah. Richie Blackmore was the, uh, he was the Keith Emerson of guitar, but, but you did, yeah, but there's another, another odd thing that people want to go back and get weird. Mm-hmm. Keith Emerson, obviously with keyboards, but yeah. <laughs> you listen to Dave Edmonds before uh, when he was in a band called Love Sculpture before he got, you know, I hear you knocking. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That guy was freaking <laughs> amazing when he was doing like the saber dance and some of the things right. he was doing. He was just some really badass, like cool classical stuff. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, the top three. Oh God. I, it's so hard. But I mean, Hendrix, yeah. obviously, because of Hendrix, just what he did for the guitar and he made yeah. it, you know, heavy and he did sure. it before Jimmy Page. He did it. Eric Clapton was great up until 68 and then he burned out. He was done after blind faith. He was just, I'm sorry, but that was it. Yeah. He was done. You know, as far as being important, um, sure, Jeff yeah. Beck has always been important, but Jeff Beck can't write songs. And Jeff Beck plays weird in a lot of ways. He's kind of like a Steve Vai type. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. he's, he's bored. He's bored with a guitar. So he always tries to do new different things that, you know, that, right. that hasn't been done, but I like guys who stay in the pocket. Yeah. And, um, Hendrix Van Halen, cause uh, just, just he, t- he took it to a next level on guitar playing sure uh, you know and yeah I, I don't know that's a great question i wish yeah, like I, I had just three solid guys here but i can't leave out <laughs> Hendrix. i can't leave out J- richie blackmore i can't leave out uli roth for god's sake yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. michael shanker too so yeah yeah I'm i always my top 10 <laughs> <laughs> i always <laughs> just go ahead I know just because I always just think of those are all great answers. I mean, there's obviously no right or wrong. I always just think of, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen from a performance standpoint, his whole style just revolutionized the guitar. I mean, where who knows where what would have happened without eruption, you know, and Jimi Hendrix. I 100 percent agree with you on um, and it, it, I would just go all the way back probably to like Les Paul just for the pure. That's innovation yeah. you know yes yeah. multi-tracking yeah you're right yeah 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 i mean he influenced a lot of guys you know he influenced guys like from the 50s like the cliff gallops and the sure uh, yeah Scotty moore you know and he's got he influenced a lot of those guys and those guys are so important to the 
Jimmy Hendrix or Jimmy Hendrix's. They're important to uh, uh, yeah. Jeff Beck's and Jimmy Page's. So you had you had like these these boxes. It all started in the forty with Les. Then you yeah. had the guys in the fifties who influenced the guys in the sixties who influenced the guys in the seventies and on and on and on. So then you know yeah. then, then you got guys in the sixties early seventies influencing the guys that gave us new wave British heavy metal. So yeah, so it's interesting. Now it's all done as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing left to be done. You know, I, I you know yeah, you know, I think it, I think at this point it's just a matter of fine-tuning to your preference right, right? but there's only so much right. uh it, technology has advanced so much just in general that i i feel like we're nearing a, a cap here with how much technology can uh uh evolve and uh progress um because technology is advancing at such a rapid pace more than ever before and i and i, and I think when it comes to electric guitar you pretty much have uh, seen it all. I think what it will come down to is will there be another innovator in terms of style and, and right. performance, which is hard to imagine. I think, especially in 2020, when it seems like the importance, the mainstream importance of rock and roll and the electric guitar have perhaps dwindled a bit. But you're never going to see something like that coming. So who knows? Well, also, the songs from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Were simple, you know, sure, in a yeah. sense where, where, where you have good songwriting in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So you get a guy who can innovate now and he's got seven strings or he's got 70 or he's got 38 frets, you know. Right, Again, yeah. you need song. There's a lot of great players. Yeah, I always totally. go back to Yngwie Ma I always go back to Yngwie Malmsteen and I go back yeah. to Amadeus. Amadeus, that famous note, you know, or famous line where he says, can you take a few notes out? And then it'll be great. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like Ingve. Can you just play less notes yeah. and play some chords? I mean, I used yeah. I used to love watching Ingve play, and then I and then and then the last few times I just can't stand it. Play some yeah. damn chords. It's just it's <laughs> annoying. I get a headache. And it's like, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love guys can do this now. You know, totally. Yeah, and I, I and I love watching somebody shred as much as anybody. But I'm a hundred percent with you. Give me some melody. Give me some licks. Give me yeah. some. You yeah. Just, just give me something else besides, you know, two hundred miles per hour the whole time. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it loses some of the musicality and some of the emotion. I think, you know, it, it just becomes more like um, finger exercises than uh, than anything else. At, it, to yeah, a certain I just extent. want you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Oh, it's like, oh <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, you know, I'm, I know I'm an old guy stuck in what I like, but I just don't think there's much left you can do. I mean, I enjoy some of the uh, um, Greta Van Fleet because they sound like Led Zeppelin, right? But, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, and he can scream like Robert Plant. It's kind of, it's kind of fun, but I, you know, yeah. but again, I can't keep up with all the new stuff. And then yeah. you hear bands that, are, you know, that sound old. Yeah, it's fun. But as far as yeah, being yeah, innovative, yeah. I think it's all about done, you know? Yeah. Uh, then, then you're, you know, then you're in your your box, uh, you know, uh, and who you are, and, and Metallica were in the box, fell out of their box, fell back in, and they did right. a good job of sounding like Metallica. You know, the last yeah. album they really sound like Metallica, and it's good songwriting within the Metallica box. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's enjoyable. Um, yeah. Well, before I before I forget, there was a um, talking about like I guess a little bit of innovation, and then also a Metallica tie-in. Sure. I, I only I only met Cliff Burton a few times because I mean when I saw him in concert you know he's too busy but he when I first met him I, you know I'd already I'd already seen the trauma video 
or I know, or I had known of the, the, uh, uh, excuse me, not the trauma video, the, um, the second album where he's using the Wawa, uh, was it pulling teeth or whatever? What's it called? I, you know, Anesthesia pulling, pulling teeth. teeth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's using a Wawa, and I think I met him in eighty. I do. I met him in eighty. Was it eighty? Let's see, he joined in eighty-two. Excuse me, eighty-three. He joined. So somewhere in eighty-three, I'd seen him, and he was doing that, and I said, "Oh." I said, oh, you're, you're, doing a, you're doing Geezer and Chris Squire, and his eyes lit up. And because <laughs> Geezer, NIB, is a bass ramp to a Wawa pedal. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah. Now, I don't know if that's, he's the first guy, but he did that. And then Chris Squire is running a Wawa through his bass also. And at yeah. the time, the uh, clip was, when I met him, he was using that Rickenbacker. So that's why I kind of put it all together. And that's yeah. how we connected. So it was kind of, the, I, just, awesome. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun to... You got a kick out of that. So, um, uh, anyhow, yeah. So, if you want to get in a little more new wave stuff, I can I can throw out some other what I think are uh, times. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. So, I think there is, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure, is well aware of new wave of British heavy metal because you're a Metallica nerd, and it's impossible to be a Metallica nerd and not know at least a little bit about that scene. But there are so many, you know, you, you always hear about Motorhead, you always hear about Diamond Head, and of course some of the bigger bands like, uh, you know, Iron Maiden and Def Leppard that came out of the scene. But there's so many bands that uh, were part of the scene that Metallica, especially Lars, uh, listens to. And just, you know, you, you spoke in the last episode about, you know, Lars's record collection. Um, right. It's funny, after you came on, Bob Nabandian came on, and he had the similar story yeah. about going over and seeing Lars's record collection and how he was, like, the coolest kid because <laughs> he had all these, you know, new wave records coming in that, uh, you know, they could go over and listen to. Um, so it was, you know, that I think a lot of us know that part, but what the, it's these more obscure bands that get lost in shuffle. And I think, too, not a lot of people realize you know, the parts that every, everybody borrows, everybody borrows. Right. And Metallica, especially I think on those earlier records, uh, you you know, it, they're borrowing here or there, the, whether it's a, a lick or a riff or a melody line, you know, they're borrowing from some of these more obscure bands that, and it might not even be intentional. I, I think at that point, especially it was just part of their DNA, uh, you know, their early set list basically were all new wave covers. So I, I'm really interested in hearing from you. You're you, you're extremely knowledgeable about the scene. You uh, are a big fan of the scene. Um, and you obviously, uh, my listeners know at this point, you came up with the band in those early days. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear you dive in and talk about um, some of the influences, whether obvious or obscure and... Uh, yeah, I'll I'll hand it over to you because I think there's going to be a, sure. a fascinating talk. Again, just my humble opinion, but um, part of, of of Metallica's world is up tempo songs. Lars being a huge Deep Purple fan, you have to throw back to Fireball. But yeah, the Fireball that's one of the first double kicks, and it's pretty fast tempo. Speed Kings another fast tempo. We're going back. Uh, fast forward. Except Fast as a Shark, which I consider the first speed metal song. That's my humble opinion. But 
that song just was 80, 80, uh, 82. And that was, that was, that was fast. Um, obscure Metallica influences, which I think uh, another, another band, which I think huge on the Metallica influence. And you can see where they've covered this, uh, a couple of their songs or one of their songs, the uh, small hours band called Holocaust. Yeah. You listen to death or glory. You listen to force down breakdown. Those are effing ferocious, heavy, heavy songs. We're talking 80, 81, heavy as hell. You mm-hmm. listen to a song called Love and Feeling Danger in the middle of the middle break. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a little rhythm riffing, and that's total James bouncing around and you know, running from fist to force to whatever he does. Total influence. Weird band because the singer looks like he's something out of the, off the offspring, and then you got John Mortimer <laughs> on guitar and along with Dudley. Just yeah. heavy as hell. Super influential. Got to listen to those guys. Budgie, another band going back to the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. Lars was a big Budgie fan. Your first four or five Budgie albums are very important for people who want to get into it. Lars was into this band called Legend from 1981. They had a couple albums, 81, 82, and they were from the Jersey Islands. which is like a channel island between like mm. mainland Europe and, uh, um, um, and England. So if you, guys, if you guys go out and, and, and search up Legend, they've they're got some cool songs. Yeah. Um, Another one that Lars, that Lars used to like, and I liked it. I don't like the production too much. Another band was the EF band. EF band, they had a single called The Devil's uh, Devil, Comprende or The Devil's, Devil's Eye. De- what did Lars say? He would say Devil's, he wouldn't say Eye, he'd say Devil's, he'd say Eye in a weird way. I forgot how he used to say it. <laughs> With he'd, his little Devil's accent. E <laughs> well, yeah, because another band he liked was, as, as you and I would say, Status Quo. And he'd always yeah. say, no, it's status, it's status quo, status quo, it's status quo, status quo. Anyhow, so he kind of like status quo, you know, because they, uh, <laughs> and, and, and of course the sweet, sweet F.A. was a heavy ass song. And some yeah. of the sweet songs were some of the more poppy trends. And we, and when he saw my Desolation Boulevard album, he goes, that isn't right. That's a combination of this album and that because in Europe they were it was a different <laughs> Desolation Boulevard was different. So I always remember that. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so yeah. Anyhow, obviously Merciful Fate was huge on Metallica with all right, those tempo yeah. changes and ups and downs. You know, kind of like like Am I Evil by Diamond Head. Merciful Fate sure, was a huge yeah. one. Angel Witch, Extermination mm-hmm. Day, uh, Angel Witch definitely. Because again, Angel Witch was on all those early comp albums too, and. I had the single, and 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 uh, then I got the album, so the, that was a big influence. Uh, another un, un, unsung band was a band called Hollow Ground, which is another interesting, uh, really heavy, heavy. Yeah. British heavy metal band, but the thing is, they weren't heavy because the production just sucked. It was not like it was recorded in a <laughs> Campbell soup can, you know. It was just and the, <laughs> any band that was on Guardian had the same drum sound. Any band that was on Need had the same drum sound. It was all the same yeah. studio. It was all the same engineers. It was just the, probably the same drum schemes, you know, it's just everything the same. Yeah. So unfortunately it didn't really get um, separated, but again, influential. Tigers of Pantang with Jeff Cox. Lars never liked the John Deverell uh, uh, spellbound. He liked the early stuff. So yeah. he liked the early Tigers with Jeff Cox. That was another thing. Raven, of course, again, being, mm-hmm. you know, over the top wacky, another band that he liked a lot. And we talked about, of course, Blitz, Blitzkrieg, Savage, and Sweet Savage, because mm-hmm. uh, they co- actually covered those songs. They put some money in those guys' pockets. Sure, yeah. And, and Sweet Savage, I think, really, again, because of Ray Howlett's vocal 
delivery. And I think James really took that to, uh, to the, to, uh, to his heart. And cause James in the beginning didn't sing like he sings. He was much thinner yeah. and higher and, you know, just finding his way. And again, like you said, you get influenced by the stuff that you surround yourself with. So, you know, right, yeah. I, 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 I would love to sit with James and say, Hey, so was Ray really the guy that kind of put you in your direction? You know, I'm just curious. It's a, my sure, take on yeah. it. So, but it's, it's an interesting thing. So we, uh, we, we did the, uh, the metal massacre album, Brian and I. Yeah. And so the very first pressing is the famous Lloyd Grant version of hit the lights. Right. Right. In production, you know, shoestring budget, $50, or whatever. <laughs> so, so <laughs> Brian and I pressed up, I think, I don't remember the exact number. I think 2,400. Brian and I each had our Anvil cases, like, like, like suitcases. And we went to Europe. We each carried yeah. as many records as we could. I think we each had 25 stuff in our anvil cases and suitcases. And I remember getting to London and we're exhausted because they had a layover in, in a, oh, before I get into this, one other band, which I should definitely say, Venom. How can I miss Venom? Course, Venom, yeah. Venom were huge on Metallica. And, you know, musically Venom kind of stunk, but at the same time they were dirty. They were heavy. They were noisy. They were ugly. Right. They were just in your yeah. face. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, obviously, they later toured with Venom. But Venom was another another really important band. All right. So back to getting to Europe. So we get there, and we're we're exhausted, and we had to find our way to a hotel, and it was just kind of a, a whole getting get even getting up the stairs with all these records and getting into our rooms. Yeah. So we we went to we went to England just to promote Metal Massacre. So we. Uh, we uh, we went to the uh, sounds in Kerrang and we met Jeff Jeff Bart, uh, you know the famous new wave of British heavy metal guy Jeff Barton. Um, right. Yeah. Um, we met him. We went to Bullet Records to go record shopping. We went to Newcastle and and and, and Neat Records. That's where we met we met Venom and the Staircase. We saw Tigers play and Raven. And then on the process, we were giving away the records, and then we were filling our records up with new wave goodies. <laughs> so we. Uh, <laughs> You know, because we have to come back loaded. Plus, I had Lars' yeah. wish list with me. You know, good God. Lars, I, I, I can't buy all this stuff for you. I got to do it for myself. <laughs> I met Uli there for the first time. So we became friends, and we're still our friends. Uli yeah. Ross. And that was, we went down, and, and, and we still were doing the uh, new heavy metal review. I think that was, uh, we, we did some interviews, and I think we did one more issue. And then Brian, you know, continued with, um, with uh, Metal Blade. Anyhow, we got back, and Friday, right away, I had to go to Lars's house and bring him his records and his booty. Mm-hmm. And right in that period, he handed me the No Life to Leather demo. Oh, wow. Uh, he goes, yeah, well, we've been busy, and we've got a new version of Hit the Lights. I said, okay, we'll put that up. That'll go on the second pressing. Mm-hmm. And he gave me, the, gave me the tape, and and I listened to it in the car driving home, and I was, like, blown away. Number one, it was already it was heavy times 100 from what they had done yeah and the guitar playing was it was just it was it blew me away and the songwriting was amazing i blew me away and i i think i literally that day i drove out to oz records which is another 45 minutes half well, half hour 45 minutes from my house yeah to where brian was working at oz records and and he was closing the shop up he closed it off and i said you've got to hear this and i didn't tell him what it was and he put it on the sound system in the record store and he put it on and he's listening to it, and he's blown away by it. He goes, well, what the fuck is this? Who's this? <laughs> I said, it's Metallica. He goes, what? 
<laughs> and you couldn't believe it. And, wow. and we listened to the whole No Life to Leather there. Yeah. It, wow. was, it was like, what the hell happened? You know, we leave for, we leave for Europe, Europe for three weeks and come back and Metallica's been born, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And so that's crazy. There you go. And that was, that was, that was the, the beginning of the, of the, uh, the whole journey these guys have created for themselves. So, wow. Yeah, that was, that, yeah, that was, that was it. So the, the, again, the new wave was a huge influence, not just Diamond Head Motorhead, it's many other bands. Yeah. Like, Lars was listening to him ad nauseum. James was listening to him because he was, I, I don't think he was forced to, but it was just, just what Lars <laughs> was going to do. Yeah. Totally. You know, and, and Lars, Lars is very aggressive. Lars also <laughs> used to drive around in his mom's pacer. He had one of those old uh, um, uh, tape tape machines, you know, the flip up ones. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and he would actually he would hum hum riffs and, and ideas to himself. Oh wow! While he was driving around, yeah. So he actually was, you know, he was coming up with ideas on his own, whether they were yeah. lyric song titles, some lyric patterns, or maybe just some riffs in his head, but. By the time we, you know, we reached uh, the beginning of Metallica, riffs galore ruled. It was rhythms. Yeah. You know, you had, you know, and if right. it was rhythms, they tend to be fast. You know, sure. And that was that was Metallica, and and, and music had completely kind of flipped. And then with the new equipment, yeah, and the attitudes, and coming out of the punk attitude, and James was as angry as as Dickie from Blue Cheer was, as angry as you know Pete Townsend was, and all yeah. the angst, you know, that, that propelled aggressive music you know and, and you and you you have the the consummate navigator manipulator instigator you know learning how to play drums you know pushing <laughs> pushing this thing along you know yeah <laughs> it happened yeah so, it's amazing yeah it was yeah yeah it was just i wish there's probably other things that happened i i do remember in 85 when lars got his first house 85 or no it was 86 and and going to his house and actually, how and and I, I might have mentioned it. Just James, James and uh, and Jason and I soundproofing Lars's garage, oh, and that's yeah. where they, they yeah. kind of came up with the garage days and, and you know, that's amazing. Ink or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they were still you know down in the trenches kind of guys you know, for a long time, just, just living their living their passions and stuff. Wow. So that's amazing. I have a couple questions yeah. for you to put you on the spot yeah. again. Um, sure. So somebody who's listening to this podcast and, you know, maybe did not uh, have not really had a chance to dive into the new wave of British heavy metal scene and maybe they're interested sure. now. So and you being just just your opinion as a fan, who are some of uh, your personal favorite bands and maybe some specific albums that you would recommend to uh, a new listener if, if for you to be like, hey. This is what the new wave of British heavy metal was all about. This this is the best of the best, in my opinion. Sure. Um, the first three Iron Maiden albums. Yeah. Because you had Clive Burr on drums. Once they got Nico McBrain, they they, they, they they put it in cruise control, as far as I'm concerned. They got, you know, they had their moments, but it would be the first three albums, maybe maybe the fourth one, Peace of Mind. Yeah, the very the first two Def Leppard albums. Please don't buy anything after the first two Def Leppard. Albums. <laughs> Shame the, on you. The Def Leppard that people know is a very different band. Yeah, so there was they just released an anthology, which is fabulous because you've got yeah. stuff from '79 and '80 80 and '81. That's live stuff. Yeah, you've got you've got a band that had a drummer with two arms, <laughs> and 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 it's just a real heavy rock band. They they yeah. are very important to that scene. Um, 
the compilation albums, uh, the Metal Blade one that Lars put together called The New Wave of British Heavy Metal is not bad. It's got a lot of interesting favorites of Lars's, so you can kind of get a sense of what Lars is into. Yeah. Bands like uh, um, Bardis, which are kind of off the wall, Gaskin, Jaguar, Weapon. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Weapon, set the stage alight. The opening of the song is the same drum intro as Hit the Lights. You'll know exactly yeah. what Lars got the opening of Hit the Lights. Set the stage alight. That's like you just oh, said, wow. you borrow yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to Set the Stage Alight, guys. That's so cool. there there's a bunch of important compilation albums that came out back in the day. Metal for Mothers. You had something called Brute Force. You had um um oh god, I I I should know this stuff. Uh, I'll look it up right now. The the comp albums are, are the oh oh Friday or what's it called? The Tommy Van Show. Was it, was it Friday night? I'll look it up. Because I don't I only have these things on C D now. Because yeah. I sold most of my vinyl, but New Wave right, yeah. of the Metal Comp. Um the first Angel Angel Witch album is important. God yeah, that's another great question. Because I the comp albums oh Diamond Head, of course the first Diamond Head record. Sure. Which you can get. Um Tigers, Fantang, it's important. Um, the, the first Savage album is important. Uh, Blitzkrieg never really had an album out, but they have a. I got a CD which had a lot of a lot of their stuff on there. Yeah, they were more singles and like EPs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, of course, Holocaust. You guys got to get the Nightcomers, which is studio, but I get the live stuff. They, they had two live albums, Holocaust, please. Again, one of my favorites. Awesome. It's just it's it's it, it's very important. To the to the beginnings, and again, a very unsung band that just went away too quick. Yeah. Um, God, you have, you have some good questions. <laughs> Trespass is another another band, very melodic, kind of in the UFO vein. Really good. Trespass um, is it, it, super important. Awesome uh, compilation. Just give me a second. I, I, God, now sure, now yeah. I'm pissing myself. <laughs> I put Seven, you on the spot. Compi- so. Yeah, no compilation album. Yeah, this guy, this guy, well, actually, uh, uh, Venom, Welcome to Hell, which is 81, is a good one. Yeah. I'm not going to agree with this guy's list. I don't like Witchfind. I think they're too boring and slow. But uh, So you've got yeah. Iron Maiden, and I said the first three, first four, Tigers of Pantang, Wildcat, which is 80. Oh, you got to get Saxon. Sure, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, I know the first album, yeah, the second and third albums are, are Denim and Leather and Weasel Steel, very important to the vibe. Okay. I mean, girl schools are fun. First two girl schools are, aren't bad. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, you want to get into the weeds now? All right. <laughs> and Let's again, do it. this is like, yeah. Rock Snacks. R O K S N A X. Rock Snacks, which is which is a very important one. Lars and I flipped over this one. There's a lot of oddball ones in there. Metal for Mothers, I mentioned. Volumes one, mm-hmm. volumes two. Uh, Neat Neat has a collection called the Singles. But there was, there was, oh, oh, this guy's, oh, this guy's got some good stuff. Man. I'm impressed. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So am I jumping around too much? So I got Metal for Mothers. I said Brute Force. Yeah. Metal for Mothers 2. Uh, Rock Snacks. There's one called Lead Weight, which is important. Lars was into that. There's another one that was uh, um, Essential 80. Rock Snacks. Rock's Caliber was another one. Hmm. Which I also like. That's from '82. It's not quite as good as Rock Snacks, but that was that was the end of the of the, of the new wave of heavy metal. Yeah. Um, 
And I said, what is the other one? I'm looking at the Tommy Van show. That's got too many of them here. Oh my God. Because <laughs> there's all these there's all these reissues. You guys could just go on, on Wikipedia yeah, and put in sure. New Wave of British Heavy Metal Comps, but there there's a uh, uh, Heavy Metal Heroes, which is a good one. And then Brute Force is very important. Brute Force. That was one of the first ones. That's eighty. Heavy Metal Heroes is eighty one, but there's one of here it is. Here it is. Bingo. Ding ding ding. <laughs> New Electric Warriors, nineteen eighty. New Electric Warriors, nineteen eighty. And another one from eighty called Metal Explosion, which is very important, nineteen eighty. And here, this is it. The Friday Rock Show. Please get the Friday Rock Show. This is live right. recordings of like Angel Witch and stuff. Cool. Very important. And I think it was Tommy Vance was one of these, you know, the DJs that just had yeah. cool bands on. That was eighty one. But again, I just I just um I just Googled, yeah. and this guy has a cool page. I just Googled New Wave of British Heavy Metal Compilation. But awesome. I kind of, I, I think if you get into the 80s stuff in 81, you're doing, you're, you're playing it safe. Yeah. Because yeah, those yeah. were uh, important. One other, one other thing I got to throw out about Lars, just to embarrass him a little bit. Yeah. He'll listen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for, some, for some reason, for some odd reason, he was totally into, uh, into this one song by a band called Silverwing. Yeah. Rock and roll or four letter words, it's really bad. I mean, it's just really <laughs> cheesy. I mean, it's not really, it's really bad. But for some reason, and I think that's why he started wearing spandex. That's all I can say. Because <laughs> he swore he would never wear spandex, ever, ever. And, and, and what do I see him in silver spandex at the whiskey? It's like, oh my God. Anyhow, so I said, I said, what, silver wing? He just kind of looks at me like, what are you talking about? But anyhow. Yeah, that's hilarious. So rock and roll or four letter words. Oh my god, what a, it's like, like it's a cheese ball song, but yeah, but the, the, yeah, the, those comp those comp albums uh, would be real helpful, and then people can weed through. But yeah, for my cool. my Perfect. Iron Maiden, Early Leopard, you know, Savage, Holocaust, Tigers, God, Raven, uh, Venom. Mm. And I'm sure there's many I'm missing, but you know. I'm an OG now, you know, I don't remember any, as much as I used to, <laughs> but what a, what a, what a time to be alive. It was just so exciting. It was so yeah. exciting. Every, every week at the new, new sounds magazine, looking yeah, back, yeah. first thing I did was flip to the bullet records ad. What's new, you know? That's great. Like, oh my God. So. <laughs> so another question I had was, do you think, Again, just your opinion. Do you think that the new wave of British heavy metal scene would be remembered, at least in America, as well as it is today, if not for Metallica? Probably not. Yeah. Because because people people would just go, oh, Van Iron Maiden, I really like them. They're great. You know, this yeah, band, yeah. you know, Def Leppard, you know, rock, rock till you drop. Oh, I love that song. You know, I yeah. don't think so. I, I, I think, I think, you know, I think Metallica deserve credit for kind of paying homage to their influences mm-hmm. and they're not afraid to, you know, and I think, I think they, you know, consciously or subconsciously, they realize that without the new wave, Metallica wouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, a huge link to Metallica because that sure. was, that was, that was, I mean, that's why I even talked to Lars because of that. You know, that's why, right, yeah. you know, uh, Lars was advertising. He was finding people that kind of knew what it was because it was so eclectic. And Lars knew that right. it, was, it was it was special, that it was it was the next step out of the earlier 
uh, uh, decade of heavy rock, heavy metal, and it had the yeah. it had the punk o- uh, overtones and the and and yet it had it was more musical and it was more to yeah. his liking and stuff. And yeah, I wouldn't be remembered, not at all. I don't I don't think. Yeah, you know, yeah that's you don't you know, yeah you you know. You don't hear Iron Maiden and Bruce Dickinson talking about you know how important a new wave of British heavy metal was because he kind of sure. he kind of came out of it he lived it but right. it was that environment that just pushed it. Yeah, so. yeah, that's interesting. I was curious to see what your response was because I know you know as some, as somebody who's younger who came in as a fan uh, and didn't come up in the scene and uh, knowing you know Lars Ulrich personally and or anything like that that. You know, I'm like my knowledge about new wave of British heavy metal comes from Metallica, and there right. are like my the reason I know of bands like Holocaust, Bungie, is because of those covers that they did on the Garage Days albums and uh, and it Bread and it's, yeah Bread and it yeah. yeah absolutely and it's funny because um, I actually just by coincidence so the current lineup of diamond head they're doing a a re-recording of lightning to the nations so i had an opportunity to hear the album and sometimes i contribute to a website metaltalk.net and so i i did like a little write-up review of the album but i i found it hard to do the review without talking about metallica and i was wondering is it because I'm just a huge Metallica nerd and, or is it just, but I also thought about him like I, but I feel like most people's association with diamond head is because of Metallica now with, you know, am I evil and helpless and all those great covers that they did. Well, I don't even think diamond Head probably would exist if it, if it wasn't for Metallica. I mean, yeah. you know, would people even be interested? Probably not. You know, yeah. I, I, I would they sell any records or, they, or whatever they sell? Or would the people come to their shows? So yeah. I, I don't know that for sure. It's a speculation, but I mean, kind of, you know, you got sure. what one original member left, you know, and, and the song <laughs> yeah. that's going to be the encore is, is, you know, am I evil because of Metallica? Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just, yeah. So I don't think you're wrong to think that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's Metallica is, is what is, Metallica, in a way, is, has kept uh, New Wave of British Heavy Metal alive. And they're the yeah. only band that have done that. It's, you know, Megadeth didn't do that. Anthrax mm-hmm. doesn't do it. Slayer doesn't do it. None of these other bands, sure. I, I can't say, really do it on, on, the, you know, on the same level. I mean, yeah. Iron Maiden are the New Wave of British Heavy Metal. Def Leppard used to be the New Wave of British Heavy Metal. You know, I mean, Iron Maiden, I mean, Iron Maiden used to be New Wave. I should say used to be. You know, yeah. I mean, even Yannick Gears was in a band called White Spirit, which was you know, on, on some of those comp albums too. So he comes out of the yeah. same, that same world, but I don't consider them. But I don't, you don't consider ever... them kind of keeping that flame alive. That's all. Yeah. Well, you never, he- like you said before, you never hear about the scene associated with those bands. Like if you were to read right. the, you right. know, if you were to read a biography of Iron Maiden, if they mention the new wave of British heavy metal, it'll be just like probably a one sentence throwaway thing. But it's funny that Metallica did not come directly from that scene as a, you know, a non-British band, obviously. Like, but uh, you know, they—it's such a huge part of their folklore and their history. Well, because Iron Maiden came out of it, but Metallica 
absorbed it and became Metallica. Yeah. And, and and just to get them on the map, they had to play new wave of British heavy metal songs from six, seven different bands, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. They did a savage. They did Savage. They did Sweet Savage. They yeah. did Blitzkrieg. They did Diamond Head. And I'm, you know, I I'd have to reach back, but they probably did a, another band. I'd have to look. Yeah. To remember, but. Thank God, it would have been harder to pass off Van Halen songs as <laughs> as non covers. Right, because people would have known. Yeah, people would have known, right. but they didn't know. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah exactly. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't say this is our new song. You know, Blitzkrieg. Yeah, yeah. They just, you know, this is a song called Blitzkrieg. Or yeah. and back in the early shows, James didn't talk that much. Yeah, they actually had it written on a set list when he would talk. Yeah, you know, no, they did. Yeah, I mean, I've got one of the early set list, and it was That's just awesome. you know. James, right, and then, and then then he would talk just a little bit, and that was it. And so yeah, yeah, but they they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to. I mean, they were smart in the sense that you know a lot of bands starting out had to play covers and play covers to fill out their repertoire. Uh, Metallica's doing covers <laughs> uh, that people didn't know were covers, you know, <laughs> because yeah, they right. came from a different part of the world. Don't know? ask, don't so, tell. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're not giving this up. Yeah, we're not yeah, denying. So kind of, we're not saying it's ours, but yeah. we're also not telling you it's not. <laughs> right, that we're not that. that we're not as good yeah, songwriters yeah. as you think we are. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's, you know. But that's kind that's of funny, the fun yeah. part. That's why that. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's why Lars was in such panic at the whiskey show that night when I, when he came running out when I had the house tape <laughs> going. Yeah. You know, and and. Yeah, yeah, but he he was as white as a ghost. He looked like yeah. you know, cast as a ghost. <laughs> you know, when he found out it was my tape, and then it's like, well, what's next? I said, it's yeah, yeah. savage. Let it loose. Yeah, we're playing that tonight. Oh shit! No, you know. Oh, we've been exposed. Right, yeah, if I don't yeah. get that tape out of the machine, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, you know. Ding, 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 ding! I better get over there quick. You know, <laughs> it, was like, uh, it was funny. Yeah, it was. I always remember him running out, man. That was just came out from that's the dressing rooms awesome. upstairs. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, they they're the only ones that really recognize it. They pay you know, they pay yeah. their respects and and they live it. And they you know, and they're songwriting still, obviously. Yeah. Like, like you know, any good band, you know, they they're still able to tap into that sure, that energy yeah. and that that really fertile creative period back then. I mean it's yeah. unbelievable. Well that was just part of their it, you know, sound. But the other thing when you think about technology, you know, in the '60s it wasn't so easy to press your own record and sell it, you know, at your concert. But that, yeah. but the, the the cost of making your own record, a single, and selling it at your shows, it, it you know became uh, more available, I guess, either through technology or less cost. So that's how Iron Maiden and Def Leppard were were financing some of their shows. They were yeah. selling their singles. They they recorded had enough money to record their own. They could go into the studio, it was less expensive than it would have been in the 60s, record a song or three songs, put it on vinyl, even maybe, you know, and press up a thousand or 300 or 400 and sell them at their shows and get the word out. Yeah. But that wasn't happening in the 60s as much as it was happening in the 70s because of the technology and the cost and stuff. And that's, again, that helped propel bands, you know, and get, and get them out. And everybody right, was yeah. doing that. So many people were doing that by, by that point. So, yeah. And now anybody can just, you know, have a home studio and, and record anything. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And just upload a digital file and they're out there. Absolutely. <laughs> there ain't none of that. Yeah. So yeah, a lot totally. easier to get your stuff out now. So yeah, again, sure. technology helps the new wave band start to start to do their thing. 
Well, this has been great. I, I have to ask you, and maybe this is better to leave for uh, a third appearance on the show. I don't know. But I know that you mentioned you have uh, a set list, and it reminded me that uh, um, when your first episode came out, actually, Rod McGovney on Twitter uh, wrote a uh-huh. list of things to it. Just I guess he had listens, which is uh, very flattering. Uh, but he asked me, but prior to him listening, that if uh, if I had asked you about your uh, Metallica memorabilia, and uh, I said I had not, but I it, he made it seem like you have a little bit of a collection. So I don't know if that's something that worth visiting in another episode, or it depends how long your episodes are. But I mean, if you want, I th- you, yeah, I mean, I could probably talk about it for ten fifteen minutes. Yeah, I don't know let's if it's still it. up an hour hour and a half, but up to you. So. Yeah, I, I, if you don't, I, I, I'd be really interested to hear what you got. Well, let's see. I guess I have, I have the very well. I have the test pressing of Metal Massacre, so I would. Yeah. You know, I'd have to say I have the first vinyl ever of Metallica. Wow! Yeah. I have the very first T-shirt ever made, the prototype Metallica T-shirt. Nice of the of the young metal attack. So that yeah, that's going to ask. Ron yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the young yeah. metal attack. Basically that's the awesome. same artwork, but it's a different coloring and kind of filled in. Yeah. So that's interesting. I ha- I have a skull bullet belt that was worn by James, then it was worn by Dave, and it was worn by Ron. They shared the belt. They 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 couldn't afford their own belt, so they would share it. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think that's where it stemmed from. Actually, I think he posted uh, a picture of the band, and I think in the photo Ron was wearing it. And if I'm not mistaken, it might have been James or Dave, but I think it was Ron that was wearing it, and he mentioned that you had that belt. <laughs> yeah, that's the belt. Yeah, that's the promo photo where, where Dave has like two guitars. That's the belt. Yeah, James wore it at the whiskey show. They wore it like at the first show or after that, but I have pictures of them wearing that belt. <laughs> That's hilarious, yeah. And it was bought at Leather by Leather, I think, up on the Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, Ron remembers where that all comes from because he he bought it. Yeah. So yeah. I got that from him. Um, set list. I have a set list. I think it was at the Whiskey. Going to my Google Drive and my Metallica folder. There it is. That's the guest list. I can tell you about that in a second. So the, the set list is right. Okay, they open up with it just says lights. Yeah. Then it says then it says mechanics, which later right. was the four horsemen. And it sure, says James. Yeah. He talks. Then they do Phantom. Then they and, and then again they just abbreviate this title. Then they do jump. Mm-hmm. Then they do motor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then they <laughs> then they do remorse. And then James talks. <laughs> then they do seek. Then they yeah. do whiplash. And James talks. <laughs> then they do. Then they do evil. And then they do metal, which is metal militia. And James talks. Yeah. And then they do an encore, the Prince, which is diving in. So light yeah. mechanics, Phantom Lord, jumping on the fire, motor breath, no remorse, seek and destroy, whiplash, am I evil, metal militia, and the Prince. So nice. yeah, we have that. Then we have on the back of a, and that was written on the back of a Metallica flyer. Then we have, <laughs> on the same flyer, we have the guest list. I want to say it's the, I think it's the later show. They write, and it's Lars's handwriting. It says band, then it says crew, and then the guest. Marlo Brodus, which is James's girlfriend at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Colleen Copeland. Then it says Ron question mark plus one. Gene Moffitt, Diana Johnston, Sheila Graves, Laura Graves, Robert, somebody source kill. Then they invited mm-hmm. Satan. So Satan was invited. <laughs> then they invited Lucy's fur. <laughs> and then they invited Scott and Clem. Then they invited Joe Schmo. <laughs> and the very last invite was John Bush, and in parentheses, new singer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's amazing. We have that. We have um, some business cards that and Lars wrote on the back. He says, John, wherever you walk, throw these around. I've got some business. <laughs> Not wherever you go, wherever you walk, throw these around. Yeah. <laughs> I have the um, off the board metal up your fucking ass tape, which nice. is the last show Ron did in, in, in 82. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Amazing. the tape that Lars's you know, Metallica's producers came to my house to do a digital transfer when they were going to do the big box set. Oh, yeah. Uh, which never came out because of the issues between, I guess, Dave and Lars or whatever. So yeah, they were going to yeah, release yeah. the Metal Up Your Fucking Ass tape. Um, I yeah. have that. I have the No Life to Leather. Uh, I have the, they, they did a, a huge ad in Band Magazine for their summer tour, mm-hmm. their first ad in their local papers. And I, I have the ad, but I have the receipt that Lars signed was for $650 for their first ad in Band Magazine. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the reason I have the receipt is because Ron paid for it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then um, I have a lot of flyers and stuff, different yeah. flyers. I have one flyer, I have the elements, actually, where James hand, hand drew all the logos and, and all the cutouts. Oh, so wow. Amazing. So you have yeah. the, I have the flyer and I, and I have the cutouts and stuff. And so um, I have the... Uh, um, um, so I have I have that, which is interesting. You can kind of just see his artwork and stuff. Yeah. Um, totally. And then the other interesting thing is I have the first ever Metallica database. It is a little address book, you know, a three by three address book. Right. That has been lit on fire, beer has been poured <laughs> on it, and it's got <laughs> phone numbers for Nikki Six. And, wow. and Dave Mustaine and Mr. B's liquor store. Oh, wow. And, and, other, and well, all the essentials. The oh, yeah. The essentials are let's see, fuck off Ronnie, Frisco, yeah, <laughs> best records, some guy named Wayne, um, Cliff Burton's phone numbers in here. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cliff Burton. Um, wow. Let's see, Lars's work, which was the gas station, Tommy Lee's phone number. Wow. Uh, John Locker, Leather by Leather. Dale Dickerson, uh, Lawrence. Somebody, but it's hard to. It's been. It's been beers and poured on. It's been lit on fire. So it's. It's a little. It's a little. It's a little distressed. Not in mint condition. <laughs> Ron McGovern. Yeah, John. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Alfred. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, Lars is the king. Lars is de, de- kind, which is Lars is the king. And this would be his liquor, 862-4512. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, you know, uh, I, I, have the, uh, I have the first ticket for the um, Saxon show, March 27th, 1982. Oh, wow, yeah. Ticket number one, which Lars had given me, and Lars wrote underneath special guest Metallica. He, he, he squeezed it in on the ticket. 
and, and, awesome. And, and since I, I think I stayed in because there's two shows that night, and I think I stayed in, so I never, I never needed the ticket. They didn't kick me out or something. I don't. <laughs> so I, that's why I have it. Otherwise, they would have taken. It hasn't been pulled apart. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Some early pictures, passes, uh, test pressing. Yeah. The BAM ad, early photos, the famous James flipping everybody off, you know, with the Michael Schenker behind him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, that's basically it. Mean, that's great. Yeah, that's basically it. But, I mean, the belt and the, yeah. the T-shirt are cool. And, 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 and Miley Cyrus is trying to, is going to be doing Metallica covers. You hear about that? A whole I did album? hear about that, yeah. So I reached I out to our music that. producer at work. I said, why don't you reach Miley's people? And maybe if she does a music video, she should be wearing the belt. What do you think? Oh, my God. That would be, yeah. I mean, that'd be that would really be really cool? cool. That would be yeah. so cool. That would, I, You know, that, it's fine because that was like a controversial news story when people came up. I'm like, I, I would be interested in hearing that. I think she would do a great she job. She sounds if, good. She she's a good, fan. Yeah. She's a great singer. She would back yeah. herself with an awesome band, whoever it was. Like she could get a who's who to be on it if she wanted. Oh like, yeah. It, I'm like, it, it could be a really great listen. I think. Yeah, and she's marketing herself well. It's like Gaga sounded yeah. great. I'm off yeah. the flame and Miley. Yeah. So it's one of my weird ideas. I don't know if I'll be able to reach her people, but that would be amazing. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's it's yeah. If she wore wore that belt. In one of the music videos yeah. or the t-shirt and or wouldn't that be cool totally it's kind of yeah so we'll be a see. nice little nod you know yeah yeah it's like a tie-in so yeah that'd be great so i have a few i have a few good nuggets and i've been you know, i've been trying to get lars to come see it and you know someday yeah. take it away and add it to the metallica museum but you know we'll have to wait and see because i said to james he goes well he's in charge of the museum you know and talk to him okay so <laughs> I'll, I'll hang I'll hang on to it until I you know until I I, I need money for uh, you know whatever uh, a, a beach house a beach house right because <laughs> they do have some cool stuff I mean if you yeah, if you ever totally. get to go backstage to Metallica and they're, and they're traveling with their their Metallica museum I mean they got like yep. James's peachy folder and they got some neat <laughs> stuff so you know. Yeah, there's just a few things great. they're missing, and I and I have them, so they're gonna want them at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they know where to find me, right, guys? You can find me. It's all locked up in a safe. You can't get it without my permission, but you know. If you if you lost if you lost John's number and you're listening, give me a call. And... <laughs> yeah, call Brandon, and in the meantime, and, and, and if you call Brandon, be prepared to talk to him for about two hours <laughs> before he because he's gonna I have talk that effect on people. He's going to interview you for a couple hours and then he'll give you my phone. Number. Yeah, exactly. I can, I'll give you, I'll be more than happy to give you John's number. I just have the recorder going and, uh, I need yeah, about exactly. two hours of your time. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You got to use leverage when you can. Exactly. So. Well, John, yeah. this was awesome. Thank you oh, so good. much for, uh, agreeing to come on again and being again, so gracious with your time and you. uh you know i i would love to have you on at any point if you have a another idea if i can come up with one for another episode this well uh, it, it, it's it's not metallica related it has to be ingbe i guess but i'm sorry i don't i don't yeah i don't know if i have anything else in the metallica tank but yeah if i do if i do i'll let you know yeah please do and, and definitely uh 
please keep in touch. And uh, uh, I would love, you know, if we can work something out in the future, then that'd be absolutely fantastic. But this has been absolutely uh, phenomenal for me as a fan, and I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. I really enjoy it. And, and uh, awesome. Metallica deserves all the attention they get. They're, it's amazing that they've gone as far as they've gone, but I hope they keep going. So everybody is, uh, you know, yeah, totally enter- entertained, entertained after COVID. Seriously. We need, we need a uh, live shows again. And I, and I, and I miss, uh, you know, seeing the live, but that, I don't know if you caught any of it, but they did the acoustic benefit show. And then they came out and did some of it, uh, electric and, uh, Oh, they did. It, oh, okay. Yeah. It was, it was nice. Uh, it was nice to see them back, even though it wasn't in person, you know? Right. Well, I, I hope they can get out next year because I mean, it is the 40th Hopefully, anniversary. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure they've got a oh, bunch yeah. of cool, cool things planned just to kind of celebrate it. I just hope yeah, they're able sure. to do it, you know, on a large scale right. because yeah, it's, they've, they've worked this hard. It'd be nice for them to kind of, you know, enjoy the 40th year as, as totally. a band. Totally. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. Right. Yeah. Go vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) So so we can all go see Metallica play. All right. (laughs) Priorities. Come on, Pfizer. Come on, Pfizer. Come on. I can wait to see my family. But as yeah. long as I see Metallica first. Yeah, well, I mean, you can always see the family. Metallica, you yeah. know, how much longer are they going to be around? James said 50 right, shows a you year. Know, yeah. You better get over there. Yeah. And with the ticket prices, I don't know how many times yeah. I'll be able to see them. So, you know. Yeah. 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 Larger, larger, shoulder, larger, larger shoulders, not going to, you know, you can play Enter Sandman, yeah. maybe not battery or fight fire. You know, you better go see them. Yeah. Things are still connected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor guy <laughs> all that tempo you gotta keep going seriously so, uh, all right all right thank you john well, i appreciate it right. yeah right, absolutely take care bye all right bye Thank you to John Grenarians for coming on Metallicast yet again. It was great the first time. It was great this time. Just really excellent stuff from the history of the electric guitar to the new wave of British heavy metal, especially hearing about the obscure bands that him and Lars and that whole crew were listening to and digging. And some great Metallica stories as well. What about that memorabilia? What about that collection? So... Metallica, I know that you are listening. Call me. I'll get you in touch with John if you lost his number. Um, But in all seriousness, if you liked that episode and you're not already, please download and subscribe the episodes. Leave me a five-star positive review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way into helping the podcast continue to grow and get great guests like John Grenarins on. Please follow Metallicast on social media at Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is coming out right before Thanksgiving, so enjoy your holiday. Be safe, everybody. Until next time, metal up your ass. Yeah. Fans, not experts.